you can grab your Bibles and open up to Hebrews chapter 12. Thank you. The series is called Anchor Church Distinctives. So far, we have covered many distinctives. We talked about Jesus. We talked about the gospel. We talked about, we have three W's here, worship, walk, work with Christ. Pastor Mark preached on worship. Last week, we talked about walking with Christ in community. We suffer together. We've also covered some of our pillars. One of our pillars is prayer, so we spent a week on prayer. And we want you to know that even though we've changed our name recently and our brand and our logo, we're the same church with the same DNA. Today, we're going to talk about our walk with Christ, but the metaphor we're going to use is like a run. And when we talk about our walk with Christ, uh, it means that your relationship with Jesus, your relationship with God, is like, a, is like moving forward in a walk. And we've said there's two feet to that walk. The first one is you and God. And the you and God foot has to keep moving forward. But here's the problem. If it's only you and God, and you don't have other Christians around you, how far do you think I'm going to get before you see me screaming in agony up here, right? I can get maybe to here, and that's it, okay? So the other foot is the community foot, you and other Christians moving forward together, right? So me and God, and me and the church, and we're moving forward together. Last week, the sermon was more about us as a community. Today, the sermon is more about you. How is your walk with Christ? And we're going to use the idea of a run. Hebrews chapter 12 is one of the most famous chapters in the Bible. It talks about running the race with endurance, right? I'm a runner. If you know me, you know I'm a runner. Several years ago, Pastor Mark said, we should run a 5K. And I was like, is that like 20 miles? And he's like, no, it's like three. I'm like, okay. So we ran a 5K and I liked it. He's like, we should run a half marathon. I was like, oh, never. Well, we did it. Then he's like, full marathon. So three years ago, we ran the Chicago Marathon. Last year, we ran the Indianapolis Marathon. So uh, I know what it means to run a, a short run, a medium run, a long run, and a really long run. I know what it means to run in the city. I know what it means to run in the rural areas. Here's a picture. Mark and I ran the Starved Rock Half Marathon earlier this year, and that's me and old Abe. Uh, out in by Starved Rock, right? How many of you been to Starved Rock before? So when we were registering for it, we were afraid because uh, we're like, are we going to be like running in canyons? And they're like, don't worry, on the website, don't worry, it's a flat race. We run you right along the river. And we're like, all right. Well, we get there and the river had flooded. So they had to change the course. And we were running up and down and up and down. I mean, steep declines. Halfway through the race, I wanted to stop and go to the website and post a bad review. You lied. <laughs> This is so hard because it's just up and down and up and down. And I needed to endure to finish that race. So anyway, grab all of that running imagery and uh, your life with Jesus is like a run. And I'll never forget when I was running the Chicago Marathon, every once in a while when there was someone who I knew who came on to cheer a bunch of people on, they'd, they'd just run up alongside of me just for a little bit. They'd be like, don't give up, don't give up. And that was so helpful to me. And that's basically all I want to do with you today. Uh, whatever you've been through in life up until this point, I want you to keep going. And I'm going to just run up alongside of you just for a little while here and say, hey, don't quit. Keep running, all right? Uh, let's pray, and then we'll get into the Bible together. Father, we thank you that you encourage us. You don't just give us rules. You don't just give us principles. You don't just tell us history. 
you give us encouragement. And I pray that there would be so many here today who are uh, feeling maybe spiritually lethargic, who maybe have been in church for years but aren't growing. I pray that there would be some here today who are still struggling with the basics, who are discouraged and tempted to walk away. Some who feel like it's becoming harder and harder to just be a Christian in their life. I pray for those who are here today needing reassurance that following Jesus is worth it. That's what Hebrews is written to. And I pray that you would encourage our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Hebrews chapter 12, are you there? So we just got, so chapter 11 just happened, and you know chapter 11, right? The hall of faith. It, by faith, Abraham, by faith, it, all here's what Moses did, and, and the Red Sea, and Samson, and Joshua. I mean, you think about Daniel, and it talks about all of these amazing heroes of faith, and then we arrive in chapter 12, and here's what it says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Write this down, number one. Run the race with endurance. It says, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight, sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So your life is portrayed as a race. Your faith is portrayed as a race that you are running and intending to finish. Run the race with endurance. And there's encouragement why we should keep going. It says here, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. So there, there you are running the race. And it asks you first to look back. So everybody just look over your shoulder real quick. Just look back. Go on, do it. Look back. And imagine what you see there is all of the heroes of the faith of the Old Testament who've gone before us, right? We could even now at this point in salvation history include the reformers. There's Martin Luther. There's John Calvin. They're all there. They're watching. <laughs> this idea of being surrounded by the, by the heroes of the faith is meant to encourage you to keep going as you look back. The idea of being surrounded by a great crowd Reminds me that we had Pastor Alex in town. How many of you were here last week? Pastor Alex was here, and he gave an update from Kiev. He's awfully excitable, right? And uh, he's, he's so fun to be around. We wanted to give him the full Chicago experience, so on Tuesday night, we took him to a Bulls game. Bulls versus Lakers. Never seen a basketball game in his life, right? So here's a picture from, uh, from the Bulls game. We're getting ready to face off. LeBron is there. And here's the next picture of me and Alex before the game starts. And here's the next picture. Alex really wanted to win that car, but he had no way of getting it home. So he was, <laughs> there's Mike Kioski too, we were there. So, so the game starts and the crowd is around them, right? Play number one, LeBron throws an alley-oop and they score. I mean, he just like humiliated our guys, right? And all the Laker fans were like, yeah! Play number two, LeBron drives in and dunks it. And we're like, oh, it's gonna be ugly. It's going to be ugly. But then the Bulls get up to, at one point, a 19-point lead. Now the Bulls fans are all going crazy, right? And it's funny to watch Pastor Alex watch his first basketball game because suddenly he's all in, right? And whenever something would go right, he'd be like, yes! And then when something <laughs> would go wrong, he'd be like, oh, why? 
I mean, every play, he's, he's in it. So he's watching and he's reacting. And the Bulls this year, have they're a really gifted team. Unfortunately, what they're gifted at is blowing a big lead every game. So they got up to 19-point lead. And all game long, it's LeBron was just acting like he was playing his younger brother. Fourth quarter, the Lakers just steamrolled us, came back, and killed us. And so it was, it was, but here's the thing. This idea of being surrounded by a crowd that's cheering for you, you know, that, that made me think of that. And look, in your life, as you run the race of faith, don't think you're alone. You're surrounded by a great crowd of people who've gone ahead of you and run this race. Careful on your theology. This doesn't mean they're actually here. Sometimes people are like, oh, I know she's looking down on me. She's not. Nobody up there is watching this, okay? Uh, I know he's here with me. He's not, all right? There's nothing literal about this dead people being with us, all right? This isn't sixth sense here, you know? Uh, but what it is, is it shows that their example still testifies to you as you run. As you see their example, it's like they're here cheering you on. That should encourage us. So jot this down. Remember the forerunners of our faith. And if you look back at chapter 11, what it says about them, what it commends about them is really important because they didn't receive the prize in this life. And we're not going to receive the full prize in this life either. So just like they ran the race, meaning the Messiah didn't come in their day, they're like, yeah, he's coming soon, and then they died. They ran the race even though they didn't get to see the fulfillment of it. More than likely, we're going to run our race and we, we probably won't see Christ come back in our lifetime. Maybe, but statistically, probably not. So like them, we are to be commended for running our race even though we don't receive the fullness of everything God has promised in this life. We're, we're to remember that. We're also to remember that they ran their race by faith. None of them were commended for being righteous religious people. They didn't earn their place in the hall of faith. In fact, when you look back to those heroes of the faith, man, were they messed up. Oh, David was a man after God's own heart. He was a murderer and an adulterer, all right? Uh, Abraham, he, he started the whole thing. He left his land and, yeah, and he also allowed his wife to get taken into a foreign king's harem twice. Because he lied. Is she your wife? I don't know. She's my sister, I think. That's a pretty big fit. Can you imagine confessing to your small group next week? I did it again. What? That my wife got taken into a foreign harem. How did this happen? I may have told him she was my sister. All right. He gets into the hall of faith. So please understand that when we look at these heroes of the faith, we're not to be like, whoa, I could never be like them. We're to be like them? So we watch them and we become like them. I saw this cute video last week about uh, a younger sibling who was watching an older sister do a cartwheel. And the video shows how quickly kids learn by watching other kids. So check out this kid learning how to do a cartwheel.
Yep. Now I know, I know when you, when you hear me say, be like David, you're like, he killed Goliath. You know, if we're not careful, when we compare ourselves to these Bible people, we might feel like faith flops. Do you feel like a faith flop? Like Moses walked a whole country through the Red Sea. And I can't even get my devotions in line. You know, do you feel like, if only I had the faith of Daniel, right? Um, do you feel like when you hear about David storming out into the battlefield against a 13-foot-tall giant that you're like, if only I could do that, or however tall he was. If only I could have that faith. Hey, look, the point is not to compare yourself to these Bible people and to feel like a failure. The point is to keep running. All they did was finish, okay? They, they finished by faith. They flopped so badly all along, so badly, that they actually give you hope that no matter how many times you flopped, you can cross the finish line. It's the beauty of a marathon. I finished, when I did the Chicago Marathon, like 24,000th place. <laughs> there are 40,000 people running this race. I still got a medal. You finish, you get an award. And look, this race, folks, is just, you got to finish. So remember the forerunners of our faith. Remember in particular that they flopped, but they finished, and that's what we're supposed to learn from them. It goes on to say this, let us, uh, we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Then it says in verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. So here we are running again. We turn around and we see all oh, this huge crowd. They're cheering for me. And they say, oh, Jesus is there. Wow, he's the champion of the race, right? And we're looking back and it says he did something. He endured the cross, and, and it's like we see him having run the race too. And that should encourage you that Jesus took part in this life, in this race. He didn't just come down, like, like ooh, come down and zap Satan and slap the religious priests and take salvation and go back to heaven. He ran the race. And only Jesus, this is important to realize, only Jesus crossed the finish line and was awarded the prize. Therefore, only Jesus has the box of medals that he can give to people who finish. So when it says, we're looking back, when it says Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame, then it now it says is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So we look back, oh, look what he did. Then we look up, oh, he's there. He's at the finish line waiting for you and me to arrive. And he's seated on the throne. Now, remembering the champion who won the prize means that it says Jesus is the founder of our faith. So our faith is in a person, a person who died on the cross for us. Our faith is not just in a creed or a history, right? Our, our faith is in a person. That's why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And I would ask you, is Jesus the founder and perfecter of your faith? The word perf perfecter there in this verse means he brought it to a culmination. 
And what that alludes to is that everything in the Old Testament built up to Jesus fulfilling the Old Testament. What the Old Testament promised, Jesus fulfilled. And so when it comes to Jesus, he's the one who won the prize on the cross by fulfilling the Old Testament promises of God and by perfectly fulfilling the law of God. So let me ask you this. The Bible says Jesus is the only one who ever ran the perfect race. The only one who entered heaven on his merit, who sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, and who now has the authority to welcome you into paradise when you finish your race. And I would ask you this, is that what you believe? Is that who Jesus is to you? Is your whole life one foot in front of the other toward him? If Jesus is just this little footnote in the margin of who you are, oh yeah, I learned those stories growing up, he's not your king. And if you're not aiming your whole life to arrive in his kingly presence, then you're not going toward the right ending. Remember our champion who, run the, who won the prize. Maybe today is the day you need to start running the race of faith by inviting Jesus to be your savior and your Lord. Maybe today's the day you say, I'm not saved. I've never asked Jesus to be my king and my savior to forgive me for the sinful race I've been running and to bring me on course toward heaven. Hey, if you need to repent of your sins, believe that Jesus died on the cross to, for, to take away your sins and ask God for forgiveness, I would just invite you today to start the race of faith. Now, if you're already running that race, I would just invite you to be encouraged. Hey, look back over your shoulder. See all those heroes who are crowding around to encourage you. And see the champion who's already finished it and has the box of medals in his hand, and he'll award you when you arrive. Be encouraged. So we looked back, we looked up, now we're going to look around. It says this in verse 1. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So jot this down, cast off every burden and sin. Cast off every burden and sin. Now we're looking at our own race. Now we're looking at our, wow, they finished. Wow, Jesus won. How am I doing? Now there's a self-examination here. And it says two things, lay aside every weight, so you're, you're carrying something. While you're running, you're carrying something. Lay aside every weight. And then it says, the sin which clings so closely. So, so you're wearing something. You're carrying something, and you're wearing something that's clinging to you. Both of these ideas are hindering your walk of faith with Jesus. And I'll, I'll split these up into two categories that, that these images could portray. Jot this down, cast off every burden and sin. Why are you carrying that? Write that down. Why, why are you carrying that? And I would just invite you to ask yourself, what are you carrying that is slowing your race of faith down with Jesus? What are you carrying that you have no business carting around? What are you holding on to that's really slowing you down? Let me illustrate this. To help me illustrate this, I'm going to invite up my son, Jared Hall. Let's give him a big round of applause. Hey, Jared, I, you know what? I'm actually going to give him a microphone, which is going to be really risky. Say hi to everybody. Hi. 
Now, Jared's in soccer. He played baseball before. And so you and I are just going to have a little race here, okay? So get ready. What we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to uh, run to that white tape and back, a quick sprint. All right? You think you can beat me? Yeah. <laughs> to the white tape and back. All right, ready, set, go. Ha ha. All right. Yeah, okay, because you're young. So, of course, you beat me. But now I'm going to make it harder on you, okay? I want you to stand right here. And what I'm going to do is I brought your backpack from home with, uh, you know, he puts his baseball stuff in here. And we're going to run again. But before we do, I am going to load up your backpack with a few weights that I brought from home. Two, three, four. And I also grabbed your bowling ball, which you really like. <laughs> it's got your name on it and everything, right? You really like this bowling ball. I'm going to put that in the bag, and then I'm going to zip it up. And, uh, and now you're going to wear it. Put your arms through it. Put your other arm through it. All right, how does that feel now? I don't know. <laughs> All right, I'm going to say, on the count of three, ready, set, go, go. All right, come on up here. How long, how long do you think you could actually run with that backpack on before collapsing? Uh, like 15 seconds. 15 seconds, right? All right, now you're going to help me here. Just turn to the side because what, what the Bible is saying is, why are you carrying that? So first, I'm going to get this bowling ball out of here. Well, how does that feel? A little better? Yeah. And then what I'm going to do is all of these two Three, four weights. Now, does that feel much better? Yeah. I bet you can beat me again now, right? All right, cool. Well, hey, give Jared a big round of applause. <laughs> Thanks, appreciate it. I told him this morning he's going to be doing that. Didn't he do a good job? <laughs> so, just for your takeaway, I don't, know, I don't know what it is that you're carrying around, but let's say that this represents... Um, emotionally, like big burdens that you're carrying alone, you're not praying about it, you're just kind of holding your breath. Emotionally, what are, you, what are you carrying all alone? You're stuffing it down deep. This could represent financially, you know, you're, you're allowing debt to get out of control and you're just not coming up with a budget. Why are we carrying this? So the, the needless burdens we bear, right? Not necessarily sin, but just maybe foolishness or neglect. So physically, we all would love to pursue wellness or fitness, right? But, but maybe your, your pursuit of wellness and physical fitness is just absent, or your plan just fails year after year, and why am I carrying this around? I'm unhealthy, all these issues. Why am I carrying this around? Why am I carrying that? You know, this could be a person in your life who's just draining you. And, you know, when it comes to what we're carrying, I would just say, what are you carrying that you have no business bringing with you as a believer? Like, that's not mine. Or the way you're carrying it is just really exhausting you. Whatever it is, I would just challenge you to just release that. Just put it in God's presence and say, God, I'm not going to be the one to carry this. I'm going to leave it with you and I'm going to trust you. So why are you carrying that? 
And then next, write this down. Why are you clinging to that? So it says, lay aside every weight. Why are you carrying that? And sin which clings so closely. So now it's kind of your attire. It's a funny image of a runner wearing the wrong clothes. Back then they were really into togas and robes and everything. You can imagine a guy in a snuggie trying to finish a marathon. What is he wearing? Today you might ask, you know, imagine you're watching the Olympics and you see a sprinter in snow boots. What does he wear? Or worse, snow skis. Or maybe you see a person playing tennis in a trench coat. He's got a little trouble with his backhand. Yeah, you think? Or somebody stepping up to the plate in a three-piece suit. Man, I don't know how he's going to get grip with those dress shoes on. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're not dressed for success. You're not really suiting up to win. So this idea is, if you're a Christian and you're clinging to sin, or sin is clinging to you, it, you're, you're running in snow skis. I mean, you're batting in a three-piece. Why are you wearing that? You're not going to finish with that on. You're not going to run like a champion. So I would just ask you this. Are there sin patterns in your life that God is drawing your attention to? And he's like, you've got no business clinging to that. Like, like that needs to get out of your life. Like you have to cast that off and clothe yourself with the righteousness of God. What is it that God's doing to challenge the sin in your life? Maybe it's a pattern of lying that you've not repented of. Maybe it's stealing or gossiping, quarreling. Maybe there's a person who just you shouldn't be with. Whatever it is, if God's really convicting you about that, he's like, take the snow boots off. You've got to get that out of your life. If you're going to run with endurance, that has to go. And maybe it's time to ask for help. Maybe it's time to tell somebody what's really burdening you and slowing you down. Number one, run the race with endurance. Remember the forerunners of our faith. Remember our champion who won the prize. Number two, cast off every burden and sin. Why are you carrying that? Why are you clinging to that? And then number three, don't grow weary. Don't grow weary. So then it goes on to say in verse three, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, that's Jesus, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So we're looking at the sufferings of Christ. Wow, think of how much he suffered. He looked like a bloody mess when he died on that cross. Wow, he suffered so much. And then it says, in your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. It says, consider this so that you don't grow weary. Here's a, here's a picture of runners who've grown weary. They're at the end of their race, and they're just, boom, I'm done. I can't even move anymore. And maybe that's you. Maybe you feel like you're just, I can't get up. I can't move forward. How can I run any longer? Maybe you're struggling with endurance. So I, ESPN's been talking about our beloved Bears all week long. They had a rough week last week. Do you know in the first half of the game last week, they got eight total yards of offense? And ESPN ran the numbers based on the number of plays they ran, and they said that amounted to an average of 16 inches a play. 
is a place. We're getting nowhere. And I would just say, maybe you feel that way. Maybe, maybe you feel like, here we are, November, and I feel like I've gotten nowhere spiritually, right? Uh, or worse, I feel like compared to last year, I've gotten sacked, and I'm all the way back on my own goal line, right? I don't know. But I like that portrait of like feeling like you're getting nowhere. How can we endure when we feel like we're weary? Well, there's three things here that the Bible calls our attention to. There's three reactions that you might have when God allows hardship or pain or trouble into your life. And the first one it says is this. In your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. So write this down. Right-size your problems. Right-size your problems. You might be the kind of person, when a trial comes into your life, your habit is to catastrophize. I may have just made that word up. I don't know. Is it a real word? Somebody Google it. Catastrophize. Here we go again. We're going to lose everything. They're going to fire me. Our family's going down the tree. Maybe you're like Chicken Little. And maybe when something gets hard, you run right to the end, and you're like, this is going to be a horrible ending. We're all going to die. And if you're married to someone like that, you might be elbowing them right now, like, that's you. And you get, calm down. It's not as bad as you think. I don't see blood. Right? So, so the first thing that the Bible says is you might need to calm down. Like, Jesus suffered to the point of death and crucifixion. That's bad. You don't even have a broken bone yet. Maybe, maybe you're the type of person who really overreacts when life gets hard, and maybe God wants to just tell you, calm down. Calm down. It's not minimizing your problem, but it's kind of framing your reaction. So... Um, I would, I would say, let me just talk to high school students at this point. High school students, maybe you feel like it's so hard to be a Christian today. And I saw somebody at a conference recently who was asked that. Given the, given the way the culture is turning against the church and Christianity is being mocked and made fun of, what would you tell a college or high school student who says, it's just too hard to follow Jesus today? And his reaction was surprising. He said, I would ask them which previous era of Christianity they'd rather be a part of. Meaning we've got it pretty good. Or which other country would you rather be in right now? You want to go to, want to, go to Nigeria? Your life's on the line every day. You want to go to India? Where, uh, you know, they're coming and taking adopted Christian children away to put them in Hindu homes. You want to go there? Do you want to go to North Korea? you want to go to China and have a hidden house church? I mean... Hey, let's face it. Yes, it's uncomfortable and socially risky to be a Christian today if you're a college or a high school student. But hey, let's not catastrophize. I don't see blood. I don't see blood. And I think you really just need to persevere in running your race of faith. Right-size your problem. Now, it also goes on to say this. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? Then he quotes the Old Testament, because this is a sermon. So he looks back to the Word of God, Proverbs 3, 11 to 12. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. 
Now, it continues to build up this fatherly image of God, which is meant to encourage us. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you're illegitimate children and not sons. The idea there is if you feel like you keep getting busted by God, my friends keep getting away with everything, how come my life is so hard? God's treating you like a father because you're his. Maybe they keep getting away with it because they're not his kids yet. The pain proves God's your parent. Hey, if you're in this room and you're getting away with sin all the time and you think God's okay with that, maybe you're not his child. He's not disciplining you. Maybe it's because he's not your father yet. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. We all remember that, right? We got it growing up. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. He disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. This reveals two other ways that we might respond poorly to the pain in our life. It says back in verse 5, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. So write this down. Don't be deaf to God's correction. Don't be deaf to God's correction. So the first mistake could be to catastrophize. The second mistake could be to minimize. Meaning you're not facing the reality of the pain in your life. Now this could either be there's a sin in your life and God's word is trying to warn you about it. And you're like, it's no big deal. Just, just a few little white lies. It's nothing. He's warning you, and, and you're not listening. You're minimizing it. You're, you're treating it lightly. And then when you get in trouble, oh, whatever. I'll just be better at not getting caught next time. And, and it seems like God's word is convicting you, and you hear a sermon about it, and then suddenly people in your life are saying, hey, this pattern in your life, that's not honoring Christ. And you start pushing back. Well, who are you to tell me how to live? You're taking it lightly. You're minimizing the pressure God is putting on you to leave a sinful pattern behind. Now, this could be for sin, but this could also be for foolishness, right? If car breaks down, school bills come, health crisis, and, and then, you know, your spouse says, we just sit down and talk about the budget, whatever God will provide. I don't want to talk about it. So, so you're not facing the hardship that God has allowed in a redemptive way. You're just sticking your head in the sand, you're minimizing it, and you're refusing to deal with it in a serious manner. And if this is your pattern, if your pattern when life gets hard or when you get caught in a sin is to just deafen up to God and refuse to face it, I would just challenge you on this. I would just challenge you. So we took Pastor Alex to the Museum of Science and Industry and we took him aboard the, the U-boat, the sub, right? How many of you have taken that tour before on the U-boat? Here's a picture of him outside the sub. He loved it. And then here's a picture of him inside touching something he's not supposed to touch, but he did it anyway. <laughs> he also climbed into an area. He got yelled at. He's not supposed to do that. He was really excited. But, but on the tour, on the tour, they talked about how these Germans would be, you know, on this boat for, you know, sometimes three months. Uh, and... and um, They'd have, if, they, if they were going to get caught, these depth charges would start going off all around them. They'd have to freeze in the water, and then they'd have to hope that they didn't get 
discovered. And so then they would hear the, whatever it was, the sonar, whatever they used, they would hear the pings, and if they were getting closer and closer and closer together, they knew they had to take drastic action because they were going to get blown out of the water. And I would say this, if between you and God, he's been sending you his word and sending you his people to warn you, and, and when they get close to the truth, you don't listen, and even closer to the truth, you don't listen, and there's zero, the truth is it's zeroing in on the true condition of your heart, and you don't listen, then the only option you're leaving God is to blow you up and sink you to the bottom. And I would just say, if you're the type of person who deafens up until it's completely impossible to deny the reality of your heart, and you're sinking and plunging to the bottom of the sea and dragging those around you with you, start listening sooner. Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Don't deafen up. And part of this is he quotes the Old Testament, meaning he's assuming you're hearing God's word. You're just not listening to it. And I guarantee you, if you're not in God's word, if you're in a bad place and you're stopping your listening to God, you're going to go down. I would just challenge you. You don't have a Bible reading plan. I've challenged people in the weeks past, read the book of Hebrews with me. That's your new plan. Every day, read a chapter in the book of Hebrews. That's your way of showing God, I'm hearing you. I'm hearing you. I'm not taking this lightly. I want to know what you're doing here. So right-size your problems. Don't be deaf to God's correction. Then it says, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. So jot this down. Don't be crushed by God's correction. So the first person catastrophizes, and the Bible basically says, have you been stoned to death? No. Eaten by wild beasts? No. Thrown in a fiery furnace? No. Nailed to a cross? No. Calm down. Calm down. Then to the second person who's like, no big deal, I'm good. Uh, wake up. And to the third person, this person I would say is not catastrophizing or minimizing. This person is internalizing. Internalizing. It's true. I've failed again. And this person is coping with the truth poorly. So they're flooding their own soul with self-pity. I'm no good. I'll never get it right. Here I go again. One big failure. And then self-loathing. Self-loathing. And if you're not careful, what's really going on here is you're broadcasting to God that there's really no hope. Really no hope. You just can't do it, and therefore God can't do it. And the problem with that is you're taking the truth that you failed, you're taking the truth that God didn't come through, but you're not combining it with faith. And there's a reason you're not combining it with faith. It's because if you did combine it with faith, you'd have to change. But when you wrap yourself up with sorrow and self-pity, you're preventing change. You're drawing people's attention to your weakness and failure, not to your God. And I would just challenge you, if you're a person who kind of implodes when pain comes your way, 
and you're tempted to just clothe yourself with sorrow and self-pity, I would repent of that and believe God can do it. Believe God can bring you through this. Believe God can transform you and provide for you. I'd repent of your lack of faith. I'd draw attention to your God. And rather than wrap yourself up in the blankets of sorrow and sadness, I would wrap yourself up in the comforter of the Holy Spirit and believe with God all things are possible. Hey, don't deny that truth with your, with your narrative. So right-size your problems. Don't be deaf to God's correction. Don't be crushed by God's correction. God is parenting you perfectly. Whatever pain he has allowed into your life, it's because he's going to grow you and strengthen you. Whatever trials he's brought your way, whatever hardship, whatever he didn't provide for you, it's because he's parenting you perfectly. Not just, he's not just doing a good job parenting you, he's doing a perfect job parenting you. He's pitching a perfect game, and nothing will interrupt that between now and when you cross the finish line. And the Bible says here that when trouble comes your way, God's at work. So it's time to humble yourself, and it's time to grow. Hey, don't supersize your problem. God can handle it no matter how big it is. Hey, don't plug your ears and warn the, ignore the warning lights, and God's protecting you. Hey, don't collapse in self-pity and pout. Get up and move on. God's sustaining you. Whatever you needed to hear today, I hope that my goal was to just run up alongside of you, encourage you to continue to run the race. Run the race with endurance. Cast off every burden and sin. Don't grow weary. I'd like to go to the Lord now and give you a chance to just respond in prayer based on what you just heard. Let's pray to God together. Father, I know that this life is wearying. This life is exhausting. It's painful, depressing, devastating, disappointing. Lord, I know there are some here today who feel like they got, they got busted by you. Their sin was exposed. Their weakness was called out. They've got a choice to make. Will they allow correction? Lord, I know there are some here today who are, they're just devastated. They're, they're disappointed or broken by news they got or how their life's unfolding. They don't know where to turn with that. And they're tempted to veer off of the path. I know, Lord, there are even some here today, they have not even begun the race of faith. They have not repented of their sins once and for all, been born again. They've not started following Jesus as King and Lord. Lord, maybe today there are some who need in their own hearts right now say, Father, forgive me. Forgive me and help me to start the race of faith. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross. I believe you're the champion who holds the award of heaven. And I live for you. Lord, I pray that you would call men and women unto salvation today by a prayer of faith. And I pray for those who are already running the race of faith, and they're just weary. I just pray that you would help them, Lord. Help them to confess if they're blowing it out of proportion and need to calm down. Help them to confess if they're denying it and plugging their ears and Help them, Lord, to confess to you 
if they're failing to believe that you're perfect and good and still at work. Lord, we cast all of our cares upon you because you care for us. Move us forward by faith. Strengthen our faith like never before. And we love you and we trust you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand. We'll sing and thank the Lord for his faithfulness.
each week we have leaders down front and if you have burdens you're carrying one great way to find relief is to bring those burdens up before the Lord so our leaders are down front right now feel free to come forward pray for yourself pray for your loved ones and know that the Lord will bless your prayers please join us in the gym for refreshments after the service and as you go know you are loved we'll see you back next week God bless